0: Welcome to another episode of Speak Sex. I'm your host, Eve Eurydice. I am Greek from the island of Lesbos. I am the author of Satiric on USA, published by Scribner, F32, The Second Coming, by Virago, F32. I wrote for years the Sex Files column in Spin Magazine, Gear Magazine. I'm the founder of the Institute for Self-Satisfaction. I'm an artist, performer, I have worked my entire career on issues of sexuality, female sexuality, uniting soul and body, mind, and um, bringing together what has been broken up by patriarchy, religion, culture, in order to keep men and women um, divided. Uh, my guest today is Alex Alexander-Gulbeck. Um, he's an artist, a Gnostic bishop, uh, and he's a hypnotherapist who works specifically on uh, survivors of sexual trauma, so he specializes in sexological hypnotherapy. Um, so we'll hear all about that, and of course, um, we'll hear about his journey, how he got from um, Canada to being a bishop in the Gnostic Church and <laughs> practice <laughs> <laughs> sex hypnotherapy. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Yuradish. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, introduce yourself a little bit to us and our listeners.
1: Okay. Uh, my name's Alex, and I moved here to Miami uh, from the Bay Area about three years ago. Mm. And... Um, Hmm. Listening to that last interview I was just thinking about how much I had to do with personal journeys and how people sort of become who they are and um, let's see um, <laughs> there's so many things I could talk about you know I can uh, so you the last you radio interview I did born I talked for and four raised
0: na- in Canada right and yeah. in, in a Catholic household
1: no actually um oh. my, my parents were not Catholic you okay. uh, in Canada there's a two-tier school system um, there's English, secular, and French, Catholic. Oh, okay. And uh, my parents wanted me to be bilingual, so um, I kindergarten I walked in my first day, and just everything was in French, math, history, everything we did. And uh, so it was just learning by total immersion. And uh, the French uh, school system in Canada is, is Catholic, mm-hmm. so there was an, about an hour a day of religious instruction, which um, mm-hmm. was odd to me. I mean, I uh, my father was Danish, and... Uh, so I grew up listening to stories about uh, Thor and Odin and all the Norse gods and their battles with the frost giants mm-hmm. and troll hunting and all this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Valhalla—I believed in that uh, very strongly. I took it literally as, mm-hmm. a, as a kid mm-hmm. will do. Yeah, yeah. So, so that I,
0: was your religion.
1: That was my religion. Mm-hmm. So, I'd have maybe an hour day of instruction in school, and we'd learn about the story of Job and all this sort of thing. And, uh, <laughs> during lunch I would, you know, sit and chat with my friends and say, Hey, you know, I, I know you're being exposed to this misinformation. <laughs> here, here's what's actually happening. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's way cooler the thunder, it. the thunder God, Thor has a goat, that has a chariot that's pulled by goats and he, you know, rides it around killing frost giants. And, uh, at night he kills the goats and cooks them and eats them and buries their bones. And the next morning they come alive again. And, My friends were like, aha, that's great, tell us another one. So what happened was uh, a nun um, actually snuck up on me and overheard me telling my friends the story Mm -hmm. and literally grabbed me by the hair and dragged me to the office. And (laughs) and, uh, I was sent home, right? Well, you were were a heretic. Yeah, for being a heretic. I think I was maybe seven. No, I was eight or nine (laughs) when this happened. So
2: you're such an overachiever. (laughs) Yeah, so
1: (laughs) at the time, you know, my dad um, was dying of cancer. I mean, it took him about... Two years he was sick for about two years so i was really in a state of deep existential um uh-huh. conflict i think uh-huh. and uh these this north mythology this religion was basically this structured and ordered my reality so um being you know being punished for this and sent home um and having that sort of yanked out from under me really um <laughs> whatever i mean this was a very formative event for the person that i turned into because um, I was—I never doubted that the things that I believed were true. Um, I never doubted my own perspective. Um, but after getting into that kind of trouble, I really didn't know what to do. So I uh, i used to go to the library every weekend. I'd spend all day, just my parents said, you know, hey, you can take out any book that's interesting to you. As, as long as you can read it, you're fine. So I read all kinds of weird adult anthropological and psychological material that most kids are not exposed to and uh in that particular instance i read a whole bunch of books about parapsychology and you know cryptozoology and bigfoot and ghosts and all this stuff and i went right back into school and started proselytizing for the occult and i got in (laughs) trouble for that and i was like man two strikes you're out and i just went on strike and i did not speak in school for the rest of the year um it was a formative experience and it sort of like gave me a
0: well, it takes a lot of willpower to not speak oh. at that age.
1: I was incredibly stubborn, yeah, <laughs> you, know?
0: Yeah. But they, you know. But, you know, for the record, from where I'm standing, they, were mar- they martyred you. You know, they were turning you, the Catholics, into, uh, you know, a martyr. And you were like, I'm not buying this concept of, like, Job being the weak one and God, you know, Yahweh being out there to always punish us. And instead, you know, my God empowers me. And sure. I am you know so th- that is huge um in the archetypal you know way of thinking of sure it, that I mean, is it really... a huge moment of like taking a stand mm-hmm. you know that doesn't really happen in our in our in our society that's much more secular sure yeah and it happened to you when you were super young
1: it gave me a deep longing i think to make sense of the world that i live in and to try and understand who i am right in an authentic way and since we're talking about personal experiences, right? so my father died, uh, we moved to the US when I was about nine and um, in the summer, my little sister and I would go stay with my grandparents and uh, who lived in Long Island. And my, my grandfather was a career military. He taught uh, English at West Point. He had been, was literally the first GI to be captured by the Nazis. Um, yeah. in the European theater and was in a, a Nazi prisoner of war camp briefly and um, he did not ever really discuss how it was that he came to leave that camp but I'm pretty sure
2: yeah. you know he,
1: some hard decisions were made
2: he escaped
1: yeah he escaped he, he yeah escaped
2: he, and made it back to Allied lines
1: yeah he left basically of his own direction and, uh, wound up, um...
2: Which is, like, bare-hand style. Yeah. <laughs> That's wound, the tough stuff.
1: Tough stuff. Wound up, um, in D-Day, liberation of Eastern Europe, and wound up being the, um, um profs-marshal, so to speak, of, of Nuremberg during the Nuremberg trials. And, uh, was an ardent, um, despiser of fascism, right. including what he saw as being fascism in the United States. Like, he had a tremendous sense of humor and, uh, I remember making a—one year for Christmas, I gave him a, a rubber head of Ronald Reagan <laughs> just you know because he couldn't stand Reagan. And he built this enormous, elaborate wooden sculpture um, of himself. He was Scottish, of himself uh, carrying a sword, um, sort of standing over this head of Ronald Reagan, which was poking out of the bushes. And there was a quote on the front from Shakespeare that said, you know, the Beast knew not what mischief it did, out damn spot <laughs> and you could turn this crank on the side, and I yeah, mean this was thing was like energy. three yeah, this thing was like three feet tall and two two feet wow. deep, so and
0: he he gave it a long a lot of time oh but absolutely yeah, he's a
1: <laughs> and you could turn this crank on the side, and my grandfather himself, as this wooden statue, would lean back with the sword, and as you continue to turn the crank, he'd bonk Reagan on the head with the sword wow. so that really influenced I think also my Of course psyche and the way that I look at things yeah Yeah. and my sense of humor too sure and his experiences you know as a POW um both both coming into early conflict with the authorities of the Catholic Church at the age of nine Mm -hmm. and just discovering that they didn't have the answers that I was looking for and I think some amount of my grandfather's experience fighting the Nazis and really being traumatized in in a sense being put in a no. situation where he did not have the ability or the latitude to complain in a yeah. in a nazi prisoner of war camp like there's not a there's no complaint desk you know what i mean so and that marked him for life and he was traumatized by it but didn't discuss it and um
2: but it's something that definitely affected you. sure your experience yeah
1: there. so when i went to college i studied european history and i was really obsessed with uh European fascism and my advisor was an expert on this and he had sort of a psychosexual analysis of fascism and that that's I was introduced to the theories of Wilhelm Reich who Mm. was a uh, disciple of Freud's who pioneered what almost seems to be like a form of uh, Western um, uh, sort of Western uh, somatopsychic healing because Reich's concept was that um, People have certain areas of, uh, you know, muscular tension or energetic stagnation in their bodies, and Mm -hmm. that these things form a kind of armor which um, both protect us and insulate us from having genuine experience of the life force. And he called it, you know, body armor or character armor. Mm -hmm. And Reich believed that it was important to just address that um, in a very physical, tactile way and break up the body armor and, in this way, sort of release the person to have the, the, uh, mm-hmm. the fullest possible expression of, the, of their own life force. Mm-hmm. And that um, the split between mind and body um, is something that Wilhelm Reich called the emotional plague. And he believed that this was like an epidemic in Western society and that when this went far enough unchecked, um, it would either produce cancer in individuals or um, you know, fascism in societies. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote all these books about, you know, the function of the orgasm. And he, he basically, instead of calling it chi or prana or ache, he called it, a, uh, you know, orgone energy. Oh, yeah, orgone yeah. energy, yeah. 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 So what yeah. is
0: the function of the orgasm, please, for those who don't
1: know? Uh, you know, basically just to sort of heal the split between the mind mm-hmm. and the body mm-hmm. to, allow, um, to allow us as humans on this planet to um, have the fullest expression of who we really are. Mm-hmm um and this doesn't even necessarily it's just something that's physical right Mm -hmm. something that's physical like a child who's enjoying playing with a puppy is going to experience that same kind of surge of living energy just the joy Mm -hmm. of being alive the sort of softness and Mm -hmm. innocence Mm -hmm. of experiencing embodiment Mm -hmm. and somebody maybe who is character armored right might see a child playing with a puppy and experiencing this joy and they might find it so difficult to cope with the bitter awareness of their own stuntedness that they might lash out at this child mm-hmm. and try and shut down the innocent yeah. joy that they're witnessing mm-hmm. because it's, it's almost too painful for them to bear seeing this. And this is what Ray called the emotional plague.
0: Right, and, and that is how we train children. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't be loud. Don't run around. Don't, uh, don't dress dirty. this way. Don't, don't get yeah. dirty. All of it. Sure. Yeah. Don't. 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 Yeah. Don't. So that that's how, you know, you train the little nascent brain sure. that's understanding. You know, good and bad, pain and pleasure. Sure. That you're gonna get hurt. Punishment if you reward. Act freely. Yeah. And you're gonna be rewarded if you're meek.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, that's it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. But
0: I think That's, I mean yeah. as a non as a non-practitioner, I have to say that my own understanding, and I'm opening up the conversation f- sure. to this now. But my own understanding early on, from like adolescence, of of the power of sex beyond like the physical, the physical sure. pleasure, is that um, it liberated me, however briefly, from the bound and the bondage of the self. Sure. So during the m- during the time of orgasm, which, you know, for for a woman is longer, likely, sure, so sure. we can actually feel it better, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was no longer I, as I knew myself or as anyone knew me. I wasn't who my parents knew or my teachers knew or my friends knew or, or this man or woman, whoever I was with knew, you know, so it became something else. I, I was still an I, sure. but I felt this must be what it is to be connected to the... You know, God or the greater consciousness, mm-hmm. or because I'm not me, I See. don't know. You know, this is beyond. Right. So that you know that experience, which happens only when you go so like beyond, you know, self and beyond the body. Um, uh, that's what I understand again, as a non-professional, um, is like sacred sexuality, the yeah, power of so. sex to unite us, to w- you know,
1: sure to take the us divine, take us beyond the so bonds, these, yeah. right.
2: A sex becomes the vehicle of, you know, divinity.
1: Sure, and something that liberates us from the smaller sense of self, right, right. to the larger, right, universal self. Right. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's so true. You, it's a beautiful way to describe it. Sure. So uh-huh. you
0: have found, you have done both tantra and and gnostic work. Sure. On this?
1: And I can tell you how that came about. Um, yeah. When I was in my mid-20s, I was living in San Francisco, and I I went through a very um, intense period of, I guess, of artistic and subconscious um, experimentation. And I... Spiritual emergence, if you will. (laughs) Now I'm going to sound like a weirdo. I mean, what I was doing at the time was that um, I was reading a tremendous amount about Tantra, which I found to be very fascinating, right? So Mm -hmm. there are sort of these... um, just the bare bones version of it that i was exposed to i think the guy's name who wrote the book was philip ross and he was describing um the picture that was painted for me was of uh, a system whereby we can understand the human body is having seven energy systems the chakras right and the uh, there's a phenomenon whereby there's a, a you know it's believed that there's a serpent that it's sort of sleeping at the base of the human spine mm-hmm. called uh-huh. the kundalini which uh-huh. literally means coiled and this uh-huh. represents shakti which is sort of the universal Life feminine energy, energy yeah uh-huh. and that um it is dreaming and it is asleep and by virtue of its being asleep you know these male and female forces are kind of separated and we take on identities in the world and we sort of live out this illusion of great separation right so um, through certain types of exercises and meditations this serpent will be roused to sort of climb the spine and you know sort of reunite with its other pole thereby creating illumination and when I read this I was fascinated and this is probably still drawing on my childhood experiences in Catholic school but I was like fascinating. So you have a male and a female figure. You have a serpent. You have uh, the serpent climbing up something. The, the The Hebrew word for tree is the same word as the word for spine. And then you have seven chakras and seven days, right? And I started to think, wow, you know, it, I really am starting to believe that the story of creation and Genesis is really a kind of a mm-hmm. perverted or distorted power play account of what I'm now reading about Tantra. Uh. So I, at the time, was, (laughs) whatever, this is what I did. I was reading Uh the Bible a lot, and I started Uh scanning and doing optical character text recognition on chunks of it and sort of cutting them apart and rearranging them sort of William S. Burroughs cut-up style to try and create what I wanted, right?
0: Interesting. Because
1: William S. Burroughs claimed that, you know, words and images can form locks on the human brain, which limit us into much smaller realities than the ones we're actually capable of. And as long as we remain in a universe where there's only one reality, then everything's just going to be continually running downhill right. into decay. And that there's another universe that's available to us with multiple mm-hmm. realities that is informed by magic. But it's a matter of breaking these locks. So I hadn't been exposed to those theories at that time. I was like 24. I was just following this intuitively. But later when I read about that, it made sense in retrospect. So I got very, very deep into Um, This bizarre personal journey where I was, you know, making collages about the Garden of Eden and mashing them up with stuff about Tantra and rearranging all these words. And, you know, it was like that movie, Uh, A Beautiful Mind, like all four walls of my apartment were covered from floor to ceiling with these pictures showing this whole journey. Just how can I go back to the story and get it right? So, um, was... so it's like
0: editing, <laughs> yeah. So, it's like <laughs> editing, like I'm going back yeah, and, like, and going back and editing, Remi- editing, remixes. yeah, Remix. yeah, <laughs> going back
1: and editing the genes, you yeah, know that, you know exactly. what I mean, exactly. Yeah,
0: um, I'm gonna intercept just for a sure. second, but when I was 19, you know, to just share, sure, <laughs> I kind of stopped my education, which was going somewhere else, and mm-hmm. went to Boulder, Colorado, and studied at oh, Naropa nice. with mm-hmm. Boros and Ginsburg. Oh, and no kidding, they. Oh, that's incredible. The wow, that's beautiful. Their advice on my, you know, writing right. changed basically everything. Okay. For, you know, forever. And it was magical. Mm. But I, I, at the time, I didn't use that word. I thought it was sure. editing. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I just remember, because we're saying, you know, but yeah, it's editing of the genes. Sure. Not the signs and the words. Mm-hmm. Or but editing. It is, it's much deeper. Yeah, but
2: it's, yeah, it's, you're, you're almost creating... Um, and this is something that i've that i do in in my work um, is using using these words as as objects or um, almost like a, a hieroglyphic exactly because, it, because like, there's so I much came. more meaning in it so yeah. you can transform. so you can take if you if you if you include all the variations of potential meaning that this thing has then what you're doing is opening up a a spectrum of possibilities when you um, align several of those together?
1: Mm. I think so, I mean, yeah, words okay, and so images and symbols are all magic. Right, symbols
0: and are magic, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. We should try it all, you know, oh, remember sorry. that. Yeah. yeah. When every, we communicate. Every day. <laughs> oh. So you're in your apartment, yeah. the walls are covered with right. these alchemical rewritings, collages of Mm-hmm. Sacred texts, sure. From east and west.
1: Yeah, mostly. Yeah, mostly. Uh, mostly tantra from the west. and Bible. Yeah. So yeah. Uh-huh. So I just, I felt that one must be a misunderstanding of the other, and I mm. happened to mention this to someone, and they said, "Oh, you need to check out the Gnostics." And I was like, "What's that?" You know. And I went to a bookstore and got this book called *The Gnostics* by Jacques Le Carrier and uh, I was like, "Holy cannoli!" Like, you know, having been brought up. In you know, sort of the Catholic school setting, and having had these early headbutting experiences mm-hmm. with, you know, these authority figures, you
0: found the original heretics. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, really Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> they go uh, way
2: back. <laughs> he was like, "Oh, that's my people." It, 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 it was, was in, It was in your genes. Yeah, it was incredible.
1: <laughs> so I was like, "Wow, okay." So apparently, there was not just one form of Christianity in the third century. There were hundreds of different forms of Christianity. There were hundreds of different Bibles. There were Many Christian groups believed in reincarnation. Many of them uh, were ardent astrologers. Uh, many of them seem to yeah. have s- various types of group or, um, you know, more private, you know, rituals that seem to be very heavily influenced by tantra or something very much like it. Uh, a lot, of, you know, almost all of the Gnostic groups um, held the belief that the world that we live in is is an illusion or is or is a type of illusion and that the uh, Mm. creator deity described in the Bible was actually a fallen angel who was trying to keep us trapped in this illusion, and that Jesus was actually the serpent, and he... uh, Well, actually, this differs because the word that is used in a lot of the Gnostic scriptures, um, they use the words uh, Eve and serpent and teacher interchangeably, which is like a triple pun in Arabic... Aramaic and Hebrew. So uh, one of the passages that I like the most in uh, one of these scriptures. And again, this is like from the second century. Mm-hmm. So it gives mm-hmm. you an idea of how mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these things were diverse from the beginning. They were not monolithic. Like the, the monolithic yeah. ideology that came later was imposed by violence and force. By fascism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by which is fascism. the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so it, that's and your it, story. Yeah. Fascism,
0: Catholics, mm-hmm. heretics. <laughs> so, so
1: one of the one of the original Gnostic myths that describe how Basically, um, there was this fallen angel who, I mean, without getting too, too into it, because this is a, uh, you know, we're already at the half hour mark. I'll just give you the no, real quick. No, that's all right. <laughs> that. I love story. <laughs> uh-huh. um, So basically, there was a, 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 an unknown god of some sort who was, you know, in this story, which they most largely held in common, who this unknown, unknown deity was, you know, sort of infinite and could only see itself in every direction. This was all that existed, so it was lonely. And at some point a female deity kind of split off and was curious and was like, well, what can I make? You know, And sort of cast this veil over the world that she lived in. The veil cast a shadow, and from the shadow arose this arrogant being with the face of a lion who said, you know, behold, it is I who am God, and there is none apart from me. Be- and she, his, his mother heard him say this and started weeping and thought, oh no. You know, what kind of mess is this jerk going to make? And he went ahead and um, said, you know, I'm going to make some beings and force them to work for me and worship me. So he made Adam. Yeah. Wow. And he made Adam. And How about that? <laughs> Adam was not able to stand up. He just sort of, you know, wriggled on the ground like a worm. And this mother goddess looked down and said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm very, it's causing me great feelings of sorrow to see what's happening. And she's like, I will send my daughter Eve. To go help this man. So Eve flew down from somewhere else, so much, somewhere so much higher above we can't or the mind can't even conceive of it. Flew down to Eden and saw Adam lying there and said, You know, Arise and live, right? And Adam stands up and says, Ah, behold, you know, I will call you Eve, since you are the mother of the living And then mm. this false god sees these things happen and gets very angry and is distressed because they're starting to escape his control. And um he warns them, you know, not to eat from this tree. And then there's a, a, a serpent who comes down, and the serpent is sort of identified with Eve. And they're using the, the language that they're using, like the serpent, mm-hmm. so, the instructor, so the mother. Just for the record, yeah. the
0: false God is Yahweh.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I read this, and I just became freaking obsessed with it, right? And I spent about seven <laughs> years. Like, oh, oh. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> you off, will
2: rue the day, nuns. <laughs> yeah, I was off
1: to the races, like 24 hours a day, like, and any theory I read, which I can Christ. relate to this in any way, I did, you know. So, it was a really, really deep um, opportunity to. But it exp- feels
0: to me that just you know sure. again historically, the the gnostics cover the entire period from like the Orphic mysteries, mm-hmm. which are long before Christ. Were you know like That's up right. to like. Nine hundred years before Christ, or eight hundred years—we can't mm-hmm. be sure.
1: With a name like your and niece then, you want to know, too, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: we have the Orphic mysteries, and then it covers all the way to when John writes the Revelations. Sure. The Revelations is Gnosticism. It—it's still in that, you know. It, it, Part of that it genre. was taken. Yeah, it was taken for some reason. It was accepted by uh, the church. I don't know why, because it doesn't, you know, fit with with any of the other well, books.
2: But it does really. It does really put the fear. Into people because it talks about, you know, but
0: it's very like demonic and yeah, and but you know chaotic and this, they
2: had to have something to make all these people be afraid the so rapture. that they could control them,
0: right? You know, but in any way, <laughs> what I'm saying is like I think that there is a you know, is a, it, it, they were much more um, mainstream, you know, accepted. Than we understand it now, you know, having survived two thousand years of sure. the Catholic Church. But up until even that time on the island of Patmos, I think that you know that understanding of the world, um, in which things can happen all the time, gods appear, gods disappear, you know, miracles, you know, one gives birth to the other. But mm-hmm. that was the familiar. That was the understanding of life. Sure. You know, and yeah. And then. We have the you know Middle Ages, the dark ages, and all of that kind of ends and and it, it's as if there was a moment right then in the second and third centuries, with all of those synods and and whatnot of of extreme um, you know oppression and let's say the victory of the the tyranny. Sure. <laughs> and here we are now. And it's the 20th century when you were reading this yeah. in San Francisco. And now it's the 21st century, and it's the beginning of the Aquarian age. Sure. And maybe there is hope that we're going to get back to that yeah, place well, in time and and 20, open up.
2: 20 we, 21's a good year.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, you can never step in the same stream twice, right? But I have questioned many times what's my what's the source of my fascination with this. And I think... I mean i didn't have the language to wrap around this when i was a kid but as i got older i was like you know this is really kind of when jung talks about the shadow side right or the the shadow of the psyche all of our unrealized potential all of the things about ourselves that we could be but you know lack the courage to explore you know or would rather not look at or think about and keep hidden from ourselves so the whole phenomenon of gnosticism Um, As a religious movement I really saw this like this is the shadow of Christianity like this is um, Yeah, this is the shadow that's casting and so everything that has been rejected Mm. from Christianity every uh, You know every outlier every random Mm. stray thought every road
2: Everything and person burned
1: yeah any Mm -hmm. anything and everything that that challenges central (laughs) authority, but is part of the story Is basically has been shunted off into this, this other being, you know, really as a projection. And even the historical accounts of the Gnostics and what they did, there's a a tremendous amount of projection in there. Like, you know, just you know, describing all these, you know, outlandish, crazy things that they supposedly did. You kind of wonder, like, who's writing these? What people? Oh yeah, heresy hunters. And you kind of wonder, like, did they really do these things? Like, do people? do these things when they're on a sincere quest or, or is this just a bunch of dirty old men who are sort of angry that someone's challenging their authority and so all the things that are lurking in the back of their brains, they're projecting and saying, oh, oh here's all the horrible things that they do. We want nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? So there's a, it strikes mm-hmm. me there's a tremendous amount of uh, displacement there. And like, I don't know, the beautiful thing about the shadow is it doesn't go away. It sort of stays there and it's yeah. dealt with. Yeah, You know, and... Um, I don't know where else to go with that, but that journey took me a long way. I mean, my interest in that took me a long way. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I feel... I mean, you know, I'm not a Jungian. Sure. But from where I see... From where I, I understand it, the shadow part is more real or more authentic than the other. So we tend to think... Oh, you know, let's bring things into the light. Light is good. Light mm-hmm. is positive. But just you know, in the purposes of this conversation, yeah. my my reading of it is that the shadow is the light. What we call the shadow is actually much more, you know, rich and yeah, a- sure. accepting positive mm-hmm. than you know, the establishment it's the well, hidden treasure of our psyches. That's it's
1: right. It's the source of the gold. Good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just yeah.
2: Yeah. What 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 it what I found interesting was um, when you were describing the um, the formation of like it came from Yaldabaoth came from the void, right? Mm. What everything that the that the establishment has pushed out of itself becomes its shadow, Mm -hmm. and so from that space. Is going to be the accumulation of this new creature, you know, of, mm-hmm. uh, that 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 holds its own consciousness. That <laughs> that's how it's happening. Mm-hmm. That and yeah, and then it becomes like the solution to the problem. Everything and, that it rejected, right? Everything that the establishment rejected becomes the solution to the problems that they created sure and that's the humbling balance
1: sure and that's like the archetypal myth right mm-hmm. where like the the hero or the heroine is for whatever reason misunderstood and rejected and they actually have it within them to find to go out and find like this new information or these new resources mm-hmm. that are gonna they'll be able to bring back after a perilous journey and heal the whole community Totally, but it's almost like they have to not have an established place at the outset or they yeah. wouldn't be impelled to leave home and, yeah. and you know, right. take a dangerous right. voyage and right, 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 so come it's, back. It's with, always the misfit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: It's not. It's rarely the young heir to the throne. No, <laughs> yeah, that's right. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in, and another thing, you know, in in the alternate creation stories that you know you shared with us, um, the woman is much more. Is much more empowered than in the ones that we were raised on. So and and it and it for you know it is important to remember that the establishment has you know uh, demonized and marginalized women because they are the generators of life or because they're sex or I don't know why else, but I th- mm-hmm. this is like one of the most obvious reasons in my opinion. Um, and I have two examples. Um, from my own, you know, personal culture, Hypatia and Alexandria, who mm. who was, you know, sure. um, martyr f- just because she was a scientist and a w- and a woman scientist, um, and of course Sappho, you know, who gave my island <laughs> <laughs> its alternate sure. meaning. Mm-hmm. So you know, when when I tell people I'm a lesbian, they only understand. Uh, sex with women—they have no idea there is even an island where I was born. You <laughs> yeah, know, like, no, I, actually, right. like
2: I—I yeah. would be a Miamian <laughs> yeah. She yeah. as a lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> and and
0: and to, you know, but it's to me, um, this is like the ultimate example of the power of the establishment or patriarchy or whatever you know you want to call it—the system um, to control the language and therefore and control the meaning and therefore control our understanding of things you know and limit our understanding of things oh yeah i mean they they don't even know if she was you know gay or straight or bi or you know she had a daughter she had a husband she was exiled for political reasons came back uh, she wrote songs you know about women from the point of view of the men she was very good with you know logos which is supposed to be a male territory you know Mm. women weren't supposed to like have you know open schools for girls or write or become famous for the writing Mm. Um, but it was only the christian fathers you know the post gnostic christian authorities that you know uh, turned her into this you know pervert (laughs) and turned her Toponym, because she was known as L- L- Sappho of Lesbos, Sappho the lesbian, and somehow they turned that into you know a, a curse <laughs> or, or or a you know mm. a, a immoral uh, oh, yeah. you know oh, they're, epithet they're, judgment. It's one, of, it's
2: one of their favorite things to do. This and she was banned. Her writing was right. banned,
0: so ninety w- percent of her writing is gone. We have like you know only oh, yeah, bits cause and pieces the, they, that's cause that they are bur- they burned you know, all the books. They burned all <laughs> the books. So, like, whatever we, we, I think we have only one poem intact, because mm. it was copied by some Roman um, writer, and that survived, but otherwise everything has been found recently, meaning like the 20th century even, sure. mm. uh, in, like, in the desert, in Egypt, and other places that have survived because it's so dry. Sure, like Nagamani. And they were, like, uh, you know, they were used... The, the papyri were were used to like wrap fish in the market mm. <laughs> so the, you know to just even as an example to take this you know this woman wrote some love poems sure and what the church authorities and you oh, know yeah. the the patriarchy authorities did to that
2: because they didn't want other woman women doing that they're like oh dear God. It's oh dear mind blowing. <laughs> sure. So if, if you like say
0: okay this is an example if you apply that to like our overall understanding of right wrong history uh, it, we don't it's know been, anything. It's yeah, so if you so can cute.
1: control the past you can control the future. Yeah. 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 And so now there's a there's a writer named Peter Carroll who talks about how societies go through different stages from animism to polytheism to monotheism to atheism and then it begins again. Animism mm-hmm. I'm mechanism. looking forward to animism. yeah, and Maybe I really, me too. <laughs> I see it that way. I'm all about it. <laughs> this is, I mean, I see it. We're now reapproaching animism yeah. because yeah. we've we've run to like I feel the logical end of what we've become. So I mean, I'm a web nerd, right? And I worked professionally for many years as a web developer, and it's fascinating. It's wonderful, and technology is fantastic. But I mean, I remember going to Peru. You know, I went to the Proving Amazon a number of years ago to do ayahuasca ceremony for a couple weeks and coming back to the Bay Area and landing in the airport Mm -hmm. and just seeing, you know, everyone in the airport with their black turtlenecks, you know, like frantically getting plugged back into their
2: Bluetooth and
1: everything and their smartphones. And I was like, holy moly, it's like an insect hive. Like, this is so detached from...
0: Well, that's the mecca of high tech, yeah. mm-hmm. big tech. Oh, yeah. But that—that
1: that to me, I mean, that's that's—it's like mm-hmm. our the degree to which, as a species, right now, we're sort of marinated in this sort of um, disembodied, dis- disassociated experience of being constantly wired into cell phones or smartphones or whatever. Like mm-hmm. this is an exacerbation of the mind-body split, right? I mean, this is absolutely something that's distancing us from ourselves and. And what and who we really are, yes. you know. And I can say that, and like the second I walk out of here, I'll be like, oh, did anyone text me? But you know, it's it's still, <laughs> yeah, but it's still I, there. There's you know?
2: also t- there's um, there's a Gnostic um, myth about the um, the fragmentation of Sophia. Oh, sure. And I think that that is a it's a it's a really beautiful portrait of you know where we are like what the the thing that was the fragmentation of
0: wisdom of knowledge yes, sure yeah. yeah
2: and it's like if it, the way i don't know the way the way that i see things is that each one of us is a co- is a chromosome in the cosmic body and that we have certain jobs that we need to do or that do well and and if we work in union then the function of the cosmic body you know works together the way we act with the way we behave now towards each other is like we're just hitting ourselves in the face mm. all the time and disrespecting ourselves um you know because for the way that we like wage war on each other and the way that we exist in this fragmented you know alienated
1: digital place of, consciousness yeah digital con- yeah sure.
2: and um and I think I was, I was referencing it so you could tell
1: well, the thanks. story. Thanks, yeah, I got it. So gonna, I could, yeah, so no, please I understand. take over
2: anytime yeah, yeah. you want. Yeah, well, <laughs> my question is,
0: so you are doing ayahuasca, you're still in San Francisco, what right. brings you to Miami?
1: Oh, it's a long story. Oh, I just okay. I mean, I really got, I mean, and we have like 10 that's minutes, That's all right. right, that's okay. Um, I just hit the point where, um, you know, I was reading articles about, like, you know, 30 years old and over the hill in Silicon Valley, you know, and I'm, I'm 48, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, I've had a really good run, you know. But at the time, everyone I knew, I just was burned out. I was burned out on a lot of dimensions of my life. You know what I mean? And my little sister lives here in Miami, and I just... Mm. Oh, you know, plus I'm involved in um, Afro-Caribbean traditional religions, and a lot of my friends who practice those things are here, too. And so I thought, well, I could be closer to the source, and keep up on that, and uh, just, you know, time for a change. And
0: how do you get ordained as a agnostic bishop?
1: Um, <laughs> a friend of mine was visiting me from Italy, and he... Um, he holds the lineage. Yeah, he holds the lineage, and he took me to the beach, and this is something we did at three in the morning. And wow. it was very beautiful. I mean, he just did yeah. a whole baptism on me by moonlight, and we left, and we were walking back up Ocean Avenue. and um, Ocean Drive. Ocean Drive.
2: He'll get it eventually. And uh,
1: <laughs> it was interesting. We walked past uh, a homeless guy who was sort of weaving little things out of yeah. I know palm the guy. Prawns. I know yeah. the
0: guy. Yeah. I always bought his flowers and his uh, little palm
1: creations. And the you know Philip K. Dick, the science fiction writer, mm-hmm. talked a lot about what he called the the palm garden the palm tree garden, mm-hmm. as being mm-hmm. sort of this like mystical locus of you know, cosmic unity that we as humans have access to. Okay, good, no, I'm teeing myself up for something else, which is fine. Um, And so I was sort of wandering back from the beach, wondering, you know, what what did I just experience? What was the value of this? And we walked past this guy, and he just looked at me, and he wove a rose on the spot out of dried palm leaves and showed me how you could twist the stem to open or close it, which Mm -hmm. I took to be almost like the heart opening and closing. And he said, I will give this to you if you will do, you know, three good deeds without hope of recompense. And I just suddenly got a chill and looked at my friend and I was like, Oh, holy crow, that that really was something. Like you actually transmitted something to me because now I'm getting an immediate real world feedback on mm-hmm. it. And speaking of the fragmentation of the soul and technology and all that sort of thing, and and Gnosticism and what does that all mean to me and why did I, you know, go there, mm-hmm. right? Is because to me that always stood as an example of You know people have the right to tell their own stories you know people have the right to find metaphors that work for them and people Mm -hmm. have the right to tell the truth of their experience whatever diverse forms that might take you know every individual has their own you know whether they're male or female or gay or or straight or whatever they might be they have their own they have their own wisdom you know they have their own genius and they have their own story to tell and, and the telling and retelling of the stories of our lives and how we understand our own journey is, I believe that's just part of what heals us. And that's, that's it's, right. it's mm. part of how we shine our light at each other. That's right. And that's what I admired so deeply about the Gnostics, that they they, they did this in the face of tremendous opposition, right. and yet they did it. Yeah. And when I started doing hypnosis training and life coaching training, I sort of discovered like, And, you know, this is basically what I learned is that, you know, life coaching I'll use as an example. It's it's not about giving advice, right? It's about recognizing it and acknowledging that any person you talk to is their own universe and has had their own experience and actually has like a very deep wisdom whose roots travel so much further beyond anything the mind Mm -hmm. can conceive into the same infinite source that we all share. So very often, it's simply a matter of guiding them to where they can relax and sink into that and sort of find their own wisdom because they already have the solutions to all their own problems mm-hmm. and the answers to all their own questions. And I'll tell you a story which is sort of an anecdote about a dimension of this. So I had a hypnosis client um, a year or so ago who... um her goal was to lose weight, you know, and, um, okay, that's a, a sort of a standard thing. You know, the subconscious can't ever have a vacuum. So if you remove one habit, you find a healthier habit and you sort of layer in the suggestion, help them change their own behavior. So I met this woman, um, and I, my immediate thought to myself was like, you know, holy cannoli, if you lost, you know, you already look like Linda Hamilton in The Terminator, like one more ounce of fat, and you're going to, you are you know, would not be good for you. This is not what you need. So what do you really need? Why are you here? I mean, this is my own internal dialogue. I didn't mm-hmm. voice it yeah, that of course, yeah. abrasive away, obviously. So long story short, um, it simply turned out that this woman uh, was applying for modeling jobs in Miami. But because she was a mere, you know, 5'10", and not six feet tall <laughs> was considered to be non-suitable <laughs> as, as a model and was getting very discouraged and thought, well, I must need to lose more weight. And so I talked with her for a little bit and it was, you know, what do you really want to do? And she was like, well, I want to move to New York City and do acting workshops and become an actress. That's my real passion. Okay. Why haven't you done that yet? Well, I'm frightened. You know, I'm, I'm just here on a green card and my, maybe my parents won't believe in me or will doubt me. And, um, I guess I'm still amazed by this story or I wouldn't be telling it again because I've told it hundreds of times and it still kind of amazes me every time. I led her through an exercise where I said, you know, did an induction, went to a trance. You know, let's just say that you're already in New York. You've, you've taken this enormous leap of faith. You've overcome your fear. You're now living in New York City. I don't know what neighborhood, maybe Brooklyn, maybe Staten Island, maybe the Bronx, maybe Queens, maybe Manhattan. You know, you have a cute apartment somewhere. There's a lamp on a desk. You know, you have friends that you see. You have people that you recognize when you get a bagel in the morning. You know, what do they look like? Tell me about them. Like, who, who's in these acting workshops with you? Are you having fun? Like, how do these people support themselves? How do you support yourself? Are you still a waitress? And we talked through the whole thing and it was so incredibly vivid. And she was just so excited and happy about like, wow, my new life in New York is fantastic. I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. This is the best decision I've ever made. Do you ever talk to your parents on the phone? Oh, my God, they're they're thrilled to death. They're over the moon. They're so proud of me. You know, so we really went through everything until we captured every detail and knew for a fact this was true. This is real. You know, this is happening, and you're experiencing it now. This is a real future. So then we just sort of rewound. Okay, let's come back to the present time. You've already been there. You've already experienced this. You know, remember how you got here. If there's any little steps you took or, you know, you want to leave any breadcrumbs, you know, feel free to do so. We came back in the present time and she woke up and uh, came out of the trance. And that was it. I mean, I only worked with this client one time and then she wrote me like a month later and said, holy, you know, I'm living in New York. This is the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. It's exactly like I saw in my head. And that all came from her. All that came from her the right. knowledge the detail of the new life that she had of the steps that she had to take there of the emotional mm-hmm. motivation everything all the courage all the wisdom everything this all came from inside of her so all she needed was someone to create a space for that to spread into and mm. tell her story and then she was able to make her own story real and then the reality of the real world that we live in now just had to it was a very small step from there to catch up right,
0: right. Yeah. Um, yeah well, that's exactly why i mean that's just you know perfect perfect kind of closure because yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what we're doing here that's why we mm-hmm. have this podcast with the speak sex it's just you know a way to put in words and you know al- alchemical words right mm-hmm. put in words what you want to be and the, you know put in words what felt like it was unspeakable before or frightening or um, you yeah. know impossible to achieve and then once you visualize it and you've said it and you've heard other people say it and you've heard other people articulate it, without that fear you know because it's just the words and the words create the vision create the world create the reality mm-hmm. right and that's how we change our consciousness your client change her consciousness just mm-hmm. by speaking her desire, like, yeah. in full detail.
1: She grew the wings that she needed. Yeah.
0: Right. And then, yeah. and then and when you speak your way through it, you overcome the fear. Like, there is, you, it's easier there's to no space en- for the fear anymore.
2: It's easier to engage the action that
0: actually... Yeah, exactly. Moves. You can then do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I feel that, I mean, I... I I'm kind of emphasizing the sex, in the speaking sex, because I feel that that's a crack in the wall. Because I feel that that's something that not has, has not been like proscribed by the system. Um, uh, no, so because it's a that way would be too much And we all, <laughs> you know, we all have sexual need, but it's something that we don't really all talk about. So no. you know, it's still kind of like no, uncharted fact, territory. It's
2: it's it's, a, it's even applauded when you. When you abstain, or if you don't, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like girls aren't, guys grow up um, having enough jokes and and conversations with their buddies about masturbation. Girls are never.
1: Hmm.
0: Encourage. Well, yeah, we have time. to have an episode about that. Yeah, we
1: do. <laughs> 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 I mostly talked about mysticism. I hope
0: that's uh-huh. all right. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. okay. Oh no, I love it. I loved it. And the the little digital aside is, oh. is very, you know, very important. How how our digital life is altering our consciousness. You know, not not just our sexual experience, but also our consciousness. That's worthy of another. Oh, there's another a lot of conversation. Oh, yeah. Therapists now well,
1: are there's... increasingly having to do exercises to bridge young men from being overly attached to mm-hmm. animation to cartoons.
2: Oh, to real people. Yeah, I've done. Some or many... games. to real people.
1: Or games. Yeah, video games. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah, they wow. have relationships. Yeah, they make silicon brides for them. It's really strange, um, <laughs> because because there has to be uh, an action that's involved you in order to change words and action. But it starts with words.
0: Yeah, it starts with words. So I encourage you all to speak your dreams, your desires. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Turn your fears into positive words. That's the lesson of uh, this episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming, Alex. Thank, thank you, you, so you much for the wisdom. Me. Come back, and thank you for listening to this epi- episode yeah. of Speak Sex.
2: Sure. Could would you mind, Alex? Could you tell me your website where people could find you, please? Oh,
1: is sure. It. It's uh, my website is InnerGenius, um, and it's not .dot com. It's um, I N N E R G E N I dot U S. So um,
0: yeah, we'll put it on the cool
1: on Thank podcast.
0: Cool. Thank you again.
1: Thank you so much, Eiríks.